1: Why did Spider-Man pick his nose? To get rid of the Green Goblin.
2: If you just read the bio for Dr. Steve, host of Weird Medicine on Sirius XM 103 and made popular by two really comedy shows, Opie and Anthony and Ron and Fez, you would have thought that this guy was was a bit of a, you know, a, a clown. Your show was better when you had medical questions. Hey! I've got diphtheria crushing my esophagus. I've got Ebola virus dripping from my nose. I've got the leprosy of the heart valve exacerbating my incredible woes. I want to take my brain out and blast it with the wave an ultrasonic echographic and a pulsating shave. I want a magic pill for all my ailments. The health equivalent of Citizen Kane. And if I don't get it down, I think I'm doomed, and I'll have to go insane. I want a requiem for my disease, so I'm Dr. Steve. Dr.
3: Steve. It's Weird Medicine, the first and still only uncensored medical show in the history of broadcast radio, now a podcast. I'm Dr. Steve, and this is a show for people who would never listen to a medical show on the radio or the Internet. If you have a question, you're embarrassed to take to your regular medical provider. If you can't find an answer anywhere else, give us a call at 347-766-4323. That's 347 Pooh head You know, you can follow us on Twitter, at Weird Medicine. And uh, follow our website at drsteve.com. Or visit it. You don't have to follow it. That would be stupid. For podcasts, medical news, and stuff you can buy. And uh, most importantly, we are not your medical providers. Take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Don't act on anything you hear on this show without talking it over with your doctor, nurse practitioner, practical nurse, physician assistant, Pharmacist, chiropractor, acupuncturist, yoga master, physical therapist, clinical laboratory scientist, registered dietitian, or whatever. All right, very good. Please don't forget stuff.drsteve.com. Stuff.drsteve.com for all your Amazon needs. And in addition, you can go there and you can see the roadie, computerized, robotic, stringed instrument tuner, and it will blow your mind. And it blew my mind they were so inexpensive. So um, go there. I think you can go to rody.drsteve.com too. Let me see if that's right. Um, rody.dr And you got to spell out doctor, D-O-C-T-O-R, steve.com. Let's see if that takes you there. Ooh, yes, it does. Okay. So roadie.drsteve.com. It is roadie, R-O-A-D-I-E. Or you can just go to stuff.drsteve.com. Let me do that dr Steve now that one you don't have to spell it out you can just do drsteve.com but it's just better to spell it out because that's the main website and is it going to do anything yes and then there's manuka honey and then you go down and there's the roadie and there's a video of it working it is it'll blow your mind if you know someone that has a stringed instrument like a mandolin or a guitar or a bass you can buy a robotic tuner for them and it's under Two hundred bucks, I think it's it's like under. Let me see how much it is. Sorry, roadie dot dot com. Let's go to products. So the roadie three doesn't do bass. It does everything, but it's one hundred and twenty nine bucks. Okay, and the bass one is the really heavy duty motor. That's all it is. It's just one hundred and forty nine, so it's under one hundred and fifty two. You can program different instruments. You can program different tunings. You want to do a, um, uh, a Rolling Stones open G tuning so you can play Can't You Hear Me Knocking properly? Uh, you can do that. And you just put it on the on the um, tuning key and pluck it, and it will tune it to the proper tuning uh, within a couple of cents. It's perfect. So it's neat. So stuff.drsteve.com. Uh, check out tweakedaudio.com. Offer code FLUID, F-L-U-I-D, for the best earbuds for the money and the best um, uh, customer service anywhere. And if you want to lose weight with me, I am 100% back on track. Noom.drsteve.com. For an old man, I look decent. And the only reason I look decent is because of Noom. N-O-O-M.drsteve.com. You get two weeks free. 20% 20% off if you decide to do it. It's just a three-month program. It's not a diet. It's a psychology program. It will help you in other parts of your life too, maybe. It did me. And then check out Dr. Scott's website at simplyherbals.net. All right. Very good. Well, you may have noticed, uh, no Dr. Scott, no Tacy today. Um, tough shit. <laughs> they, I don't know. I'm recording this um, at 10 30 at night on thursday the what's the date today the 18th of february uh, just because we've been murdered at work we've had a nice uh slacking off of uh COVID 19 cases except in in my team and um so i you know when you're the 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 uh chief of all chiefs when people are out i guess then that means you have to go fill in for their shifts so, that's what i mean you know that's what people have to be seen so i've been working my butt off and uh but and loving it actually so um i'm looking forward to retirement and uh that will be in one year and seven months and then uh Boy, do I have some things to say when I don't have to worry about uh, losing my job. So uh, stay tuned for that, assuming that I survive. Uh, I'll be moving to South Carolina, coincidentally the same state that uh, a former host from this channel is moving to. It is totally a coincidence. It's just it's a cool place. And uh, Mount Pleasant, South Cackalacky will be my home. And, uh... Uh, I'll be doing a quite a different show <laughs> at that point. Oh, boy, have I been holding some things in. But um, until then, we'll be doing uh, your medical questions. And um, I've got a bunch of them today. I don't have any topics to do. F-COVID, uh, enough is enough. Um, I, we've got some leftover from last time that uh, I'd like to do. Uh, I hope you all heard me finally Solved the probability question last week but we have some others to do and uh just a ton of questions so the first thing we have to do though is get our disclaimer out of the way number one thing don't take advice from some asshole on the radio boy isn't that true so i yeah i have to get up at 5 30 tomorrow and uh i'll be finishing this around one in the morning so not a whole lot of sleep for your old pal tomorrow night or tonight but anyway let's see what we got here
2: Hey, it's me again. Hi, Stacy. <laughs> Sitting here listening <laughs> to <ham>
3: our <radio laughs> She's not here, jackass. This is um, uh, T- Stacy Deloach, everyone. KK4WZI is his ham radio call sign. If you happen to hear him on the <laughs> on the airwaves,
2: a little radio net. I know ninety nine percent of people don't know what that is, but well, they do now. A COVID question: Does your blood type affect your vulnerability? To COVID? Like, is somebody type O less susceptible to COVID?
3: Well, it sounds like you already know the answer.
2: Type A is more susceptible. <laughs> because that's is the sure? answer. Bye, Stacy.
3: Bye. Bye, Stacy. Um, yeah. Um, it, I, I think Stacy knew the answer to that. So he was asking a question he knew the answer to, thinking that it would stimulate conversation on the show, except there's no conversation to be had because I'm sitting here by myself. But it is true. That there is a slight preponderance of infections in people with type A blood type and a slight decrease in infections in type O. Now, I think I did this on my very first COVID sit rep, which I quit doing because it's just the same stuff week in and week out at this point. Uh, But when it was more novel... Uh, you know, I was doing them every week. So, but so what they did was just very simple. You get a thousand people in the emergency room or wherever that you're testing for COVID-19, and at the same time, when you're uh, testing them, you check their blood type. And what they found was that uh, compared to the population, there was a slight increase in number of patients infected who were type A and a slight decrease of people who were um, type O. So let's look real quick. Let me just, um, uh, let's say, percentage. We could ask uh, Echo. I wonder if she would know. Echo, what's the percentage of people who have type O, blood type? Mm. Oh. Okay, that's great. Echo. What's the percentage of type O blood type in the population?
0: Sorry, I'm not sure about that.
3: (laughs) That's just great. Okay, 45% of Caucasians are type O, 51% of uh, African Americans, and 57% of Hispanics are type O. So uh, let's just say you took all the the, uh, white folks. And uh, you tested them for their blood type and at the same time that they come in with COVID-19. And um, so it might be 42%. It was actually, I think it was a 20% difference. So 20% be eight. So, you know, you'd figure um, uh, 30, well... Okay, 37% of people would have come in and had type O compared to the population, which is 45%. And then uh, let's say uh, percentage of type A. Because remember, they're not all the same. Okay, here we go. Uh, Type A positive is 34%. A negative is 6% of the population. So we would say 40% so if so 20% of that would be 8 so you'd see 48% with type a now this does not mean that people with type a are doomed to get covid-19 and this says nothing about how well they do they didn't look at that they were just purely looking at infections and it doesn't mean if you're type o that you are uh, that you're protected so you could never say This person with type A got COVID-19 because they're type A. And you could never say, you know, this person didn't get it because they're type O. It just is, um, you know, a change in risk. And, you know, statistics don't apply to the individual. So people who smoke, there's a certain percentage of those folks never get lung cancer, right? Right. And uh, there are a certain number of people who don't smoke who do get lung cancer. So it's kind of that sort of thing. And and now in that one, you could say uh, well, that's a sh- terrible analogy because most of the people who smoke and get lung cancer, you can say, yes, the lung cancer caused them to smoke. So I'll try to I'll think of a better analogy. That's a terrible analogy. It said exactly the opposite of what I wanted to say. Um. All right. Let's see here. Let's see what we got here.
2: Charles. Hey. Uh, I got a crazy question. Oops, and wait, I, I'm th- Steve, Matt, and Charles. Hey, Matt. Uh, I, I, I will got be a your neighbor question soon. And I, I, am being very speculative, uh, and I apologize for that. I also apologize for calling and asking a COVID question because I try to not do that. Uh, okay. So RT. Live and the COVID tracking project yep. on them. Too. RT.Live has already stopped uh, posting data. Yes. Uh, But uh, the COVID tracking project...
3: What he's talking about is RT.Live was where we used to look at the R-sub-T, which was the uh, real-life data regarding how many people um, uh, one person would infect. And when you have a number that's less than one, you would expect to see decrease in cases over time. And RT.Live just quit... Quit doing their thing and refer everybody to the COVID tracking project. I'm not 100% sure why they did
2: that. Also, uh, announced that they will stop uh, tracking data on March 1st. Oh, really? Uh, Are you aware of this? No. Is that a sign that we're crawling out of the tar pit of COVID? Uh, Is that a good sign or is that a bad sign? Or are they being silenced by the government? No. I I don't think it's that. All right. Thanks a lot.
3: Okay, that's a good question. Uh, so let's just uh, explore this together because I wasn't aware of this. Um, so I went to RT.live, which was one of my favorite um, uh, websites to refer people to, to look at how we were doing. Because it would if, you were, if your state was in the green, the R sub T was less than 1. And remember, there's an, R there's naught or R sub zero, which is um, the theoretical number of people that one person with a, with an infectious disease would infect. And for COVID-19, that number is 2.4. For influenza, it's around 1.2. For measles, it's 12. That's how contagious measles is. And uh, you can calculate from these numbers the, the percentage of population that needs to be immune for you to get an R sub T, which is real life, um, uh, communication or communicability number below one. And so that's a AKA called herd immunity. So when you, when you have enough people that are immune, that one person can not uh, infect more than one person. In other words, one person infects 0. 0.9 or 0. 0.8 or 0. 0.7 people on average. Uh, if it's 0. 0.9, a thousand people would infect 900, which would infect a 10 and 720. I've used that um, those numbers a lot on this show, and, uh, hey, and that is also what we would call herd immunity. So the formula for that is herd immunity equals one minus one over the R naught. So if the if the R naught is two, in other words, one person infects two people, one minus one over two would be 1 minus 0.5, which would be 0.5. So you would have to have 50% of people immune to achieve herd immunity. Now, that doesn't mean once you achieve herd immunity that it completely goes away the next day. That just means that cases will start to decline rather than increase. So you want a lot more than that. But when you've got an R sub 0 of 12 like measles, if you do that that's 1 minus 1 over 12, the the number ends up to be in the 90, so you have to have 90 plus percent people vaccinated to achieve herd immunity, which means that we need to have universal vaccination for measles to prevent it. And uh I get a lot of people, you know, the measles vaccine causes more harm than measles itself. Yes, that's right because we have a vaccinated um, uh, population. So in 2008, 2009, we had eradicated measles from our shores. The only cases that we had in this country came from somewhere else. And I remember saying that on the show one time and some anti-vaxxer said, you're a, you're a effing liar. And it's like, no, because it, you know, he had statistics that showed that there were measles cases in this country, but, all of those came from somewhere else. It wasn't a, na- a single native case. And um, so when you have populations that don't vaccinate for measles, then you'll see these outbreaks, and it's very communicable. So, yeah, when you have a vaccinated population, of course, the vaccine, which is not 100% perfect, all all medications have adverse effects, all vaccines have adverse effects, you'll get rare cases of people Having uh, uh, maybe even a catastrophic uh, adverse effect from a vaccine, which is which is tragic. But the uh, upside is that if we vaccinate and accept that risk, which is hard to swallow, I get that. But the uh, the upside is we don't lose one kid in a thousand who gets measles because that's the way it used to be. I had a friend of mine in um, in. Kindergarten, who died from measles. I had two or three people in my school that were in wheelchairs from polio because I'm effing old, and I remember time before there were universal vaccines. um, I remember uh, rabies commercials because people were terrified of stray dogs because rabies was, um, you know, on the uptick before they started universal rabies vaccines. So that was a lot scarier world back then, and this isn't that that long ago. You know I was born in 50 50 something. <laughs> and, uh, and so you, know, we're talking 70, no more than 70 years ago. I mean, not even 100 years, and it was a uh, there was real terror in uh, this world worrying about infectious diseases that we couldn't control. So anyway, um, don't remember what the hell I was talking about, but we're talking about the um, uh, the R sub T or RT dot live. So here's what. The, so now you have the context. Since the beginning of COVID-19 pandemic, we've calculated the R sub T, which has been a useful measure of how quickly the virus is spreading. However, we believe other metrics are now a better way to track the virus. Well, what are they? With that, we suggest you visit the following organizations which have alternative metrics. Okay, tell us what is a better way to track the virus. The COVID Tracking Project has been the source of our data from the beginning. They do not calculate R sub T specifically, but they have a host of other metrics, hospitalizations, reported cases, et cetera. Oh, okay, well, we always had that um i'm unimpressed by their explanation here if you want to look at hospitalizations by the way don't go to covid traffic uh, tracking product uh, project <laughs> go to um covid dot stout labs dot com and uh you can fiddle around w- with the data there in real time and you can uh visualize it with Bollinger Bands, that was my innovation. Thank you very much. I'll give myself one of these. Give yourself a bill. And, uh, and with um, Simple Moving Averages, also my uh, suggestion give to yourself uh, a bill. Daniel Stout, who runs Stout Labs. But uh, it's a great website. Okay, here's epiforecast.io. This group is run by the Center for Mathematical Modeling of Infectious Diseases, created many of the methods we were using to calculate R-sub-T, they currently calculate R sub T, and if you're interested in this measure, we suggest viewing it here. So let's go to epiforecast.io, and it says identifying changes in the reproduction number rate of spread and doubling time during the course of COVID-19 outbreak whilst accounting for potential biases due to delays in case reporting. That's why you want a, a simple moving average, by the way. Uh, some data sits on somebody's desk and then they output it once a week, you'll see these sort of varying up and down, up and down, up and down numbers. The simple moving average across about 20 days will smooth that out and give you what the real trends are. It says these results are impacted by changes in testing effort. That's true. Increases and decreases in testing effort will decrease and decrease reproduction number estimates, respectively, which makes total sense. Now, they don't do so... Much uh, graphical analysis, but they do have a a map of the United States with decreasing, likely decreasing, stable, and increasing uh, numbers. And the only state that is increasing right now is Nebraska, but their reproduction number is one point one, so uh, their doubling time is twenty eight days, and estimated new cases four hundred eighty six. So uh, a reproductive a reproduction number, R sub T, of 1.1 is very close to 1.0, which is also very close to 0.99, which is a reproduction number that will result in a net decrease in cases over time. So people say, say to me, well, masks don't work. No, they, they don't work 100% of the time. That's true. Matter of fact, they probably don't work 90% of the time but when you have a reproduction number of 1.1 they only need to work 10% of the time to get you down to an you know with other measures to an r sub t that's less than 1 and now you have decreasing cases so i look i'm not a mask freak and i'm not a you know follow the science i don't understand follow the science of course follow the science But don't use that as a political club to hit people over the head with. Actually, followed the effing science and look at the math. This is just pure math, Um, and we do work in a or live in a universe that can be adequately described by mathematics. So anyway, all right, I get off my soapbox uh, for about a minute. So yeah, this is pretty good. Um, If you liked our rt.live. This is decent. It's not as cool as rt.live was, but in, in a lot of ways, it's it has all the same information. So that is epi epiforecasts.io. So we'll be using that from now on. All right. Um, yeah, I don't think it's political. I think some of it is financial. You know, it costs money to do this. Daniel Stout, that runs Stout Labs. He has a little thing you can donate. By the way, please do that. Give him a dollar. It says, buy me a cup of coffee. Give him 50 cents. Um, But uh, these things cost money. It costs bandwidth. And I think RT.live had a lot of bandwidth that they had to deal with. And then just keeping it going, you just get bored with stuff. Like my uh, COVID sit reps, Um, I just didn't feel like I was adding anything to the conversation. So I just quit doing them. And they may have felt the same way see how Tennessee is doing. We are seeing a decrease, yeah, reproduction number uh, 0.91 with an a range of 0.73 to 1.1. And uh, we are seeing a net decrease right now. But the thing that concerns me is that people are going to go, oh, you know, this thing is over. Well, I know some of my staff thought it was over until they got it themselves. So um, just... Um, Still, please be careful. Let's get through this thing. I want to be done with this. And then when we're done, we need to declare war on these damn coronaviruses. Coronavirus first, because um, if SARS had become a pandemic, it would have been a lot worse than it was. It was a regional epidemic, Uh, MERS that's Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. Killed about 30% of the people that it infected. Thank God it was not very uh, transmissible. So um, death to all coronaviruses, and that's first. And then we'll hit all the other RNA viruses next, influenza, uh, Ebola. Let's see what the other RNA
2: viruses are. They
3: seem to be pains in the ass. Um, let's do a list of RNA viruses. Uh, huh, huh. Okay, come on now. Yeah, there's double-stranded RNA viruses, negative-strand RNA viruses, satellite viruses. Kiss my ass, bunch of shitty little nano machines. Although we'll learn from them, for real, um, we will learn so much from them as far as. Uh, machines that can reproduce themselves because that's all they do but they just do it for no reason and uh uh they just reproduce to no end you could say humans do that too i mean we reproduce what's the point well the point is we can regard the universe so we are we're not made we grow out of this universe we are an integral part of this universe every atom in our body came from the inside of a star we are the mechanism by which the universe can regard itself. So that there is some purpose to that. There's no purpose to these ass asshole viruses. Okay. Yeah. So there's a Ooh, yuck. Well, viruses have horrible names. Uh, There's um, God who's ever heard any of these. Amalgaviridae, family amalgaviridae. There's a whole fa- family of double-stranded RNA viruses. Bernaviridae, chrysoviridae, sister. Okay, all all got to go. Well, um, there's a crap load of shitty viruses out there. Look at this list. This is unbelievable. Uh, just go to Wikipedia and, and Google or, uh, you know, search for RNA virus and look at just this list. And you know, there's a bunch of them we don't know anything about. Negative sense, single stranded RNA viruses. Um, yeah, they all got to go. I don't, I don't see the point. The point in them. Um, if you've ever read Orson Scott Card's Ender's Game, uh, later on he starts talking about different species. Uh, can we communicate with them? Are they alien to us? But can we communicate with them? Or are they so alien that we can't communicate with them? It's impossible. And they were called Varels. And um, those species were okay to destroy. You can tell it's late at night because I'm getting philosophical. Plus, I'm having a little uh, Willets uh, bourbon, which, uh, you know, Anybody ever wants to send me anything? you don't have to. I don't even ask for that, but Willets is a pretty good thing to do and then my allergies are kicking in, plus I am stressed to the max at work and uh on and on and on, so you know you're gonna you're getting this show but uh Uh, The hierarchy of foreignness was a classification system of humans and other species designed by Valentine Wigan in her letter to the Framlings as Demosthenes uh, for classifying how alien an individual was relative to a subject. There are four tiers from least alien to most. Utlaning was defined as a stranger recognized as a human from the same planet as a subject but of a different nation or city. Utlaning means foreigner in Swedish. And then Framling was defined as a stranger recognized as human but from a different planet. Uh, That means stranger in Swedish. Ramen is a type of uh, Asian noodle. Oh, no, it was defined as strangers recognized as human. But of another sentient species entirely. This term was only ever used to refer to the entire species as a whole rather than an individual members. So this would be aliens that we could communicate with. Raman means the frame or framework in Swedish. Don't know why these are all Swedish words. And then varelza were defined as true aliens. They may or may not be sentient beings, but are so foreign. No <clears throat> no meaningful communication is possible. And varelza means creature in in Swedish. So um, in Ender's Game, they thought that these bug things were Varelza until they realized that they could communicate with them. And they had been trying to communicate with them the whole time, so they were really ramen. And uh, you can't destroy ramen. You can destroy Varelza, you know. So uh, viruses are freaking Varelza, and we can destroy them. And I feel no compunction about that whatsoever. I've searched trying to find some good that viruses do in this world. And if you can think of something, feel free. But, um, uh, and and we can have a conversation about that. But they're not alive. And I think eradicating them is, could only be good for the human race. All right.
1: The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list.
0: when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's ANGI.com.
1: Angie's list is now Angie and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.
3: Um, let's do something
2: different. Here we go. Your favorite caller. Hey, question. Listening to a podcast the other day, and they brought up a little silly question about something I don't think you've covered. Earwax. Is it better to use a cotton swab to clean out your ears? No. Or that's terrible. That your ears naturally do what they're supposed to do with the wax as far as keeping junk from getting in your ears and it naturally getting out of your ears?
3: Yeah, don't do that either. Well, unless you're one of those lucky people – who produce just the right amount of wax so that um, your ear canal is protected but it doesn't clog up so i used to make money clearing people's ear canals out you know uh, they would come in and say i can't hear you look in there it's just plugged with earwax and we had a uh, big giant a chrome syringe thing that you could fill with warm water, and you'd have the patient hold uh, like an emesis basin up against their ear to catch the water, and you would just shoot this stuff in there with this syringe, and uh, the way it was constructed was such a way that your thumb went in this loop, and your fingers went on these other loops to the side of the giant chrome cylinder, and you could get a lot of pressure, and you could just flush that stuff right out of their ear, and those were really great, full patients. They didn't mind paying money to to do that. And then I just started feeling bad about it because, really, you can just go to um, any CVS, Walgreens, or any mom-and-pop pharmacy for the most part and buy an earwax kit. And it's basically the same thing. It'll be a little bottle of glycerin with some, hydrogen or some kind of peroxide in it that'll foam up and you lay down watch Seinfeld that's that's about the right amount of time lay down uh, with your bad ear up put about five or six drops just fill the ear canal and you'll feel it bubbling up in there and the bubbles kind of get behind it and loosen it up and then the glycerin softens it and you lay there for about 25-30 um, uh, minutes and then you get up fill the basin with lukewarm water you don't want it too hot and then you take the syringe fill it up put you now you're putting the the bad ear down pointing into the basin and then you squirt uh, this syringe or this bulb syringe into your ear kind of at an angle you don't want to shoot it straight in you what you really want to do is get it to bounce or go against one wall and then wash along the eardrum and then come out down the other wall, if that makes sense. So you want it to slosh around in there instead of spraying it straight in. Because that, what's that going to do? It's just going to push the wax in even further. And when you do this properly, after two or three times, you'll see a big bolus of disgusting earwax fall into the basin of your sink. Now, if you use Q-tips, what's going to really happen Uh, Q-tips should be used to clean the Helix and to put on makeup and stuff, not to shove into the ear canal. When you do that, you're going to do one of two things. You're either going to traumatize your ear canal because there isn't any wax in there. You just think there is. Or you're just going to mush the wax deeper into your ear canal. It's very rare that you can use a Q-tip to actually get out a large bolus of ear wax. So please just don't do that. Um, buy a murine ear kit or just any ear kit and now they have a new one that has a uh, trigger on it and you kind of pump the the um, warm water into your ear like a gun It's like um looks like a spray bottle well it is a spray bottle except it's got a nozzle on it that shoots a stream of uh, warm water into your ear and that works kind of like what I used to have in my office and you can buy those now at CBS or I've seen them as seen on TV just you could uh, probably google let me see as seen on tv uh seen on tv earwax let me just put that in and see if it comes up yeah there it is okay so um come on come on Nope, I don't like this. This one's simply twist to grab and extract earwax. I, I don't like that. This this one's got an auger on the end of it. Now, this you would have to have an eardrum absolutely full of earwax, and then it's got a, a you know a, an auger bit on it, and you twist it, and it, it um, inculcates itself into the earwax bolus, and then you just pull it out, and it can't slip off. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, oh, here's a earwax vacuum. Ooh, let's look at this. Let's see if this is anything.
0: Hang on. What's up today? I wanted to do a new series that hopefully you guys will like because
2: not. Oh, this. And I'm gonna be announcing the. Okay. It's called good? the Wax a Vac. And sheet.
3: Okay. Let's see if she pulls a big glob of earwax out of There's her ear. To go in there. There's nothing in there.
2: Oh, I can see a little bit. Of
3: Mm. Okay, I don't know. But you could try something like that. I think that would be okay as long as there's not a lot of uh, negative pressure because the thing you don't want to do is start yanking around your eardrum. That's what you're trying to avoid is trauma to the eardrum itself and yet getting that wax out of there because as long as it's in there, pushing up against the eardrum uh, or the tympanic membrane, as we would call it, then you can't, um, uh, you know, it can't vibrate. If it can't vibrate, you can't hear well. All right. i want to get to this other question. Let's see.
2: Hey, Dr. Steve. Hi, Tacey.
3: (laughs) She's not here. Hi, Dr. Scott. I'll tell her, though. He isn't here either. He's an
2: asshole. I suffer from low testosterone due to a pituitary tumor. Okay. I know all the negative aspects of low to no testosterone. Yes. Are there any positive benefits? Yeah, sure. Can you speak on that, please?
3: Yeah, positive benefits to low testosterone yeah um, no more pesky libido you don't have to worry about having intercourse anymore so I guess that's that could be a positive I was thinking the other day how much easier my life would have been if back in the day I just didn't give um, give a crap about having intercourse and uh how much less trouble I would have gotten into um yeah, I wouldn't have tried the trifecta on the weekend, and then have one of the one of their uh, boyfriends show up uh, banging on my door at uh, two o'clock in the morning, and I had to throw him down the stairs and stuff. <laughs> well, well, yeah. Hypothetically, I mean, I'm just uh, you know whatever, but um, yeah, that uh, that's about the only thing I can think of. There probably is a well. The other thing is um, no or a decreased incidence of um, testosterone-sensitive tumors like prostate cancer. I mean, what we do when someone has prostate cancer is we give them Lupron or we uh, do an orchiectomy, in other words, remove their testicles uh, to prevent them from pro- producing any more testosterone because testosterone and uh, prostate cancer, like you know, a match and um and kerosene. Let's see. Benefits to low testosterone. So you're seeing behind the scenes today, this is how I find some of these answers. Let me see. Uh no. Mm-hmm. Okay. Low testosterone is good for men and families, says uh something. One of many things new dads give up for their kids is, ironically, the sex hormone that got them into this mess in the beginning. with Ooh, this a mess. Testosterone dips are often synonymous with fatherhood, and that can cause postpartum depression, lower libido, and shall we say, peak dad bod. Ugh. <laughs> but the research suggests low T isn't all bad, and there's a growing body of evidence that the teacup may be half full after all. Come on. This is uh, fatherly.com, by the way. You don't have to report and, and try to be funny. Um... Low testosterone may be why you're such a family man. You can't blame the baby for knocking out your testosterone completely. Studies suggest that marriage marriage facilitates a testosterone decline as well. Gee, I wonder why. And there's additional evidence that soon, as soon as you make a conscious decision to be a family man, your T started its gentle march downward. Well, that's interesting. You can't separate mind from body. That's for sure. This may seem to add insult to injury, but scientists suspect it's nature's way of helping you chill out around screaming babies and spouses. That may make sense. Remember, we talked about multiple times in the past that very small variations in human response to things can lead to big amplification over time when we're speaking about evolution. So a kid that when they're 14 in the cave says these people I'm living with are assholes I'm moving to the next cave where they're cool would have diversified the gene pool by mating with people in that other cave rather than in their own cave and over time that may have uh, provided a survival benefit that is um that we still see today in modern adolescents who tell their parents to go to hell until they He hit about 22, 23, and then they realize, oh, wait a minute, those people in that old cave weren't as dumb as as I thought they were. I wonder how I'm supposed to balance my checkbook. And uh, then they come running back, and they're normal human beings again. So this may be one of those things where uh, those men... In a cave back in the caveman days that had a decrease in testosterone after babies were born in the cave may have been less likely to kill the mother or do something dastardly or, um, you know, or kill the kid or whatever, who knows, you know, Um, and uh, that small difference may have been enough to uh, make that gene very successful in being passed down through future generations. So that's, and yeah, it would keep them from running off with other people. And and obviously this isn't 100% of people, but it may have been enough to keep the species going. So that's very interesting. All right. So fatherly, you know, despite the, you know, the yucks, the attempted yucks in their um, uh, reporting, that's uh, kind of an interesting article alright so anyway uh, that's about all I can think of though oh my allergies are killing me
2: Steve this is Darren what? my teeth are made of moon rock oh boy April Fool oh fuck that up damn it (laughs) I will fall <laughs>
3: That's terrible.
2: I drill a lot in my sleep. Really? Like tons. Is there anything I can do to stop it? Besides eating a shotgun. Thank you. Oh my goodness! Boy, this is a terrible call.
3: <laughs> you, dude. You said it, bro. <clears throat> And the thing is, is he was doing Edgar, except he was asking about drooling. And the one thing about Edgar, as we all know, his mouth is dry. One of my favorite ghost stories of all time was watching Jim Norton tell his ghost story, knowing full well that he was talking about Edgar, his character from uh, Opie and Anthony. If you haven't seen it, it's quite humorous if you're uh, aware of uh, Edgar's history. Anyway, drool. It's just nothing but excess saliva, and if it comes out of your mouth, we call it drool. And uh, I drool sometimes. I I wear a BiPAP mask. It's very attractive at uh, at night. And sometimes I'll drool into the thing, and it's so disgusting that I have to rip the mask off, and I can't sleep with it the rest of the night. Uh, So I'm uh, not a fan of drooling while you're sleeping, too. It's very common, But every once in a while, it's a symptom of something else like a sleep disorder or another health condition. So uh, or if you have multiple sclerosis or cerebral palsy, I doubt that that guy has, it. although he sounded like he might have something like that. Although I think he was I think he was doing a character. Um, The most common cause of drooling when you sleep is pretty, you know, it's pretty commonsensical and it totally has to do with uh, Einstein and gravity. Um, when you sleep into, uh, on your side or on your stomach particularly, where's the saliva going to go? And if you open your mouth and you snore and then you've got a bolus of saliva in your mouth and you're sleeping on your side, it's just going to leak out. And that may be all it is. So um, particularly people who have trouble breathing through their nose and um, they open their mouth to breathe and then the saliva comes out. If you have blocked sinuses like I do now, uh, you're going to drool more than usual, um, and it's because you're breathing through your mouth again. Uh, People with reflux will also breathe through – well, uh, not only breathe through their mouth, but they will be uh, increasing the amount of saliva produced because they have noxious acidic fluid working its way up from the stomach up to the esophagus and a lot of times into the posterior pharynx or you know the lower part of the throat, <clears> throat> so those people will uh, also drool and then some medications uh will do it as well and you just got luck uh most of these are for crazy people which you know maybe that's it um, people with sleep apnea will also drool uh at night and so I have that I have complex sleep apnea, which means that when you put the CPAP mask on, I stop breathing. So I have to have BiPAP. Uh, You know, I'm just a treat. Uh, And the BiPAP actually uh, forces air into my lungs. And then I breathe back out under pressure. And it works pretty well. I feel a a million times better since doing that. So change your sleep uh, position. That just makes sense. Um, sleeping on your back, if you can. If you can't sleep on your back, uh, try putting a wedge under your bed or you know bricks under your bed so that you're <clears throat> so that you are uh, slightly angled upward with your head above your feet, just slightly. And uh, that way, if you're sleeping on your side and you open your mouth, hopefully gravity will keep the saliva in the bottom of your mouth rather than having it leak out. I'm looking at Healthline.com. And they said, uh, try, um, biting on a lemon wedge and, uh, the citrus, they say here that can thin out your saliva. I don't think that's what it is. I think when you bite on the, the, uh, the lemon wedge, you're actually emptying out your salivary glands. And I can't imagine that that's a very long-term solution, but it might be for some people. And, uh, if they're flowing more freely after you do that, and, uh, When you stop, maybe it'll decrease the amount of saliva that's produced during the night. There is a thing called a mandibular device, something you put in your mouth. It's like a mouth guard, and uh, you sleep uh, more comfortably, and you drool less. I have one of those, and I think it's really helped. Since I started using my device, (laughs) so I've got all this, this crap in my head when I'm trying to sleep. Uh, it decreases that whole spontaneity. My wife and I have talked about uh, trying to have intercourse while both of us are wearing our CPAP masks, and we were just so grossed out by the idea <laughs> that uh, you know it was nothing more than just sort of a passing. Boy, that would be weird. But uh, since I've started using the, um, the mouth guard, I find that I kind of clamp down on it. I don't breathe through my mouth as much. I'm going to have to use of uh, Afrin tonight. I'm not a big fan of Afrin uh, for long-term use, but short-term use, it's great. It's the absolutely the best decongestant and um, uh, that will help me breathe tonight and drool less. And then there are some people that have Cialurea. So that's a, That's your word for the day is Cialurea. That means excess production of uh, saliva. So diarrhea is excess production of watery stool. And rhinorrhea is excess production of snot. So cialorrhea is excess production of stuff from the salivary glands. And that would be saliva. So uh, those people can take anticholinergic drugs that will give them dry mouth, which will help. But the problem with that is, is anticholinergic drugs over time can increase your risk of dementia and stuff. So uh, probably a better solution is Botox. So botulinum toxin injected into the salivary glands will decrease the amount of saliva produced. And it works pretty well. So uh, now there are cases where a doctor recommends getting your saliva glands removed. I want to have that done. I have an eggplant-shaped head because of my parotid glands those are the glands that increase in size when you have the mumps and they're just gigantic and uh, apparently that's just a normal part of aging for some people but I hate it and I've tried to get an ear nose and throat doc to take them out if you know anybody that's interested in uh, doing that surgery on me I would be happy to at least give them a plug on the ear and I'll even pay for the surgery okay I think we have maybe time for one more question
2: Hey, Dr. Steve, what's up? Hey, man. How are you?
3: Good, man. How are you?
2: Cool. Great. So um, I am trying to wear an N95 mask in my office all day. Um, A nurse friend said you could tape it to keep your glasses from fogging up, tape the top of it to your face, and I'm wondering if there's um, tape for that, some kind of special tape. Um, I've been using masking tape. Um, If there's anything wrong with doing that,
3: now, you shouldn't have to. I think what's going on is you've got the wrong size N95. One thing that you can try to – now, if it's a true N95, you should be breathing through it, and it shouldn't be fogging your glasses up. So if it is a true N95 and it's fogging up your glasses, you probably got the wrong size. But I'm not sure why you're wearing an N95 at work. You shouldn't have to do that. A regular, you know, surgical mask would do. And on those, for those are very difficult to not fog your glasses up. Um, twist the ear, the ear um, uh, loops instead of putting them completely around your ear. Tw- twist them 90 degrees and put them around your ears, and that'll stop it. What it's doing is it's just venting out the side instead of venting out the top. With surgical masks like that, you generally don't breathe through them very, very efficiently. You breathe around them, and uh, the reason that they work is when you, if you cough or you're breathing or you're, you know, talking loud, any viruses that you have may uh, will be shunted to the sides and the top and the bottom rather than shunted straight out. So uh, they're not perfect, but they do decrease transmission. So we still feel that they're useful. Now, uh, an N95 actually filters the air, and when we do it, we have to uh, uh, put our head in a hood, and then they'll spray this stuff in there. And if you can smell it, then you're not wearing your mask properly. So um, if it's fogging up your glasses, you're not wearing it properly, or it's not a real N95, or it's the wrong size. Okay? All right. Let's... um I think this will be a quickie hey
2: Dr. Steve hey my name is Coulter. Hey, I'm Coulter. Just responding to what you just described as kind of the weird um, paralysis um, with dreaming and I've, oh, yeah. I've had so many issues with that and <clears throat> I would love to discuss this more with you yeah thank you my numbers
3: uh, are- well, okay let me skip over that
2: three nine ah
3: Jesus dude come on that's it? Oh, okay. I thought that was a question about vaccine and antibiotics. Okay, I don't know what, what happened there. Okay, well, listen, um, I kind of uh, crapped the bed there at the end. Uh, sorry about that. Pulling up the wrong phone call, but that's you. Well, know, cringe of the week for uh, uh, Carl and, and the crew. Time to wrap it up anyway. Uh, we can't forget Rob Sprance, Bob Kelly, Greg Hughes, Anthony Cumia, Jim Norton. Travis Teft, that Gould girl, Lois J- Lois <laughs> Lewis Johnson, Paul Ofcharsky, Chowdy 1008, Eric Nagel, the Port Charlotte whore, Roland Campos, sister of Chris, Ra- Sam Roberts, She Who Owns Pigs and Snakes, Pat Duffy, Dennis Falcone, She Who Loves Breff, Spriss, and Pocky, who's no clue what that is, Matt Kleinschmidt, Dale Dudley, Holly from the Gulf, the great Rob Bartlett, Casey's Wet T-Shirt. Carl's Deviated Septum, Patty Seacups, Bernie and Sid, Martha from Arkansas's Daughter, Ron Bennington and Fez Watley, whose support of this show has never gone unappreciated. Listen to our Sirius XM show on the Faction Talk channel. Sirius XM channel 103, Saturdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern, On Demand and other times at Jim McClure's Pleasure. Many thanks to our listeners whose voicemail and topic ideas make this job very easy. Go to our website at drsteve.com for schedules and podcasts and other crap. Until next time, check your stupid nuts for lumps. Quit smoking. Get off your asses and get some exercise. We'll see you in one week for the next edition of Weird Medicine.